Welcome to the Getting Hip Podcast. My name is Nick, also known as Aelorn, and today we're back to a more conventional episode of just me by myself. Uh, I have a couple of music topics to talk about today, mainly relating to uh, a concept that I came across when I was going on a bit of a deep dive on Steve Coleman's website, mbase.com, and... It's called Cell Notation. Firstly, I do recommend checking out that website just because it's got a lot of like useful resources and stuff. He's got some video masterclasses where he talks about rhythm and rhythmic improvisation. Uh, and I've found it especially useful because I'm trying to get as many ideas of like non-linearity as possible because of my hopes for doing that for honors. But in any case, uh, I'm going to talk about Cell Notation. I'm also going to have a maybe brief maybe not so brief tangent or like a topic on chord inversions and then i'll also talk about the featured album so i'll start off with cell notation just because it's an idea that it it's it stuck out to me because it's a very thinking outside the box idea uh but i just want to kind of through the process of verbalizing it see if i can find some more benefits to it I'll go over it. So, cell notation is something that Steve Coleman came up with, where, oh, I believe he came up with it. He didn't mention anybody else having done it on his website, but the idea is that you, t it's a way of notating a, what he calls a cell, which is a small tone grouping, generally a two to five tone structure. I'm kind of reading just verbatim on his website. Uh, which can be used as a separate entity or used as a base to build more complex structures. I'll give an example because I've just been talking for a little while. Let's say you have you want to notate the, a C major chord with cell notation. What you will write is you will write C, and then in numbers next to it, you will write the any extra notes that it has uh, based on their interval in semitones. So E is one, two, three, four semitones up from C. So you'll write C, four, and then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, four, seven. C, and then four, and then a seven on top of that. And the numbers just keep going up. It begins to look a little bit like figured bass, but that's how you would notate a C major chord. C, four, seven. You notate all of it from whatever the lowest note in the voicing is moving upwards. I'll give a more, I guess, atypical example. You could do one six. Let's say B flat one six. That's a B flat chord with a B natural or a C flat and an F natural. And oh, no, sorry, B flat one six would be. So that's B flat, uh, B natural, and E. Because a B flat, if we have B flat as our base, uh, that's the that's what we would write as the note. The B natural is one semitone up, so we'd write B flat one, and then a tritone one two three four five six is six semitones up. So you'd write B flat one six, and you can you can actually do uh, he's uh, Steve Coleman's opted for using the line that is more like the the horizontal line that is often associated with um like polychords to describe what the difference between what's happening in the bass clef and in the treble clef so 
an, an exact example that Steve Coleman has notated on his website is G-sharp 1 plus. And now what the plus means is it just means an octave up. So G-sharp and A, that's G-sharp plus 1. And then in the treble clef, he's written E156. And so that voicing is... And the whole thing put together... Let me just adjust my fingers so I can play more. So how he would notate that is G-sharp plus 1... G-sharp 1 plus, sorry. And then E156. Okay. So... Firstly, because I guess I, sh I shouldn't beat around the bush any longer. I don't really like this idea of cell notation because it seems like it's just stubbornly refusing to use... Like, I don't see any benefit in looking at cell notation. Oh, I'll, I do see one benefit. I won't, I won't speak in uh, definitives, but most of the time, I think you would get the exact same effect by just physically notating it. Like, it seems like he refuses to use cell notation. He refuses, he's refusing to use just standard notation that would accomplish the same effect because it seems like cell notation is used to describe, um, cell notation is used to describe the exact voicing. And it's like, that's also just what standard sheet music does. Now, I do recommend... There is one time in which uh, I can think off the top of my head that I would recommend using cell notation, and it's for when you're dealing with dyads. So, like, just... He would describe that as A with a 2 next to it, or A with an 8 next to it. So that's just an A and an F, which is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. So that's an A... Eight, A nine. The problem is, of course, when you see A nine, you would think A dominant nine, which he has a section where he talks about. Uh, I'm going to read this just so that I don't uh, put any words in mouths. When traditional notation is used mixed with cell notation, then brackets are recommended surrounding the traditional notation. Otherwise, some traditional chord symbols might be mistaken for cells. In this example, he's got C nine, which. Uh, C9 in regular notation would be a C dominant 9, but in his cell notation, C9 would be a dyad. That's just 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Just an interval of a major, a major sixth. So the reason why I think this works when describing dyads is because it, if you, like you could describe A flat, you could describe the dyad of A, B with a chord, right? You could write A sus 2 omit 5 or, you know, something else. Like, but, I mean, A sus 2 omit 5 is probably the closest thing you could get that's, like, got the least amount of omits necessary. Uh, you could also do uh, E sus 2 omit 1, which is kind of dumb because the E is not existent. So... A sus 2, omit 5 is the closest thing you can do. But I think maybe what he was looking at is 
if you use cell notation, then it doesn't have any specific chord or modal implication. You can just look at it as itself and decide where that's going to exist. So you can take an, uh, let's, in cell notation, it would be E6, which is an E and a B flat. One, two, three, four, five, six, E6. And a lot of the times you would look at that and you would see, okay, well, a tritone, uh, I would often associate a tritone with, let's say, a dominant seven chord. And you could even do a, a different sort of dominant seven chord. Oh, I could uh, voice that. Yeah, there we go. That's got all the notes. So the tritone is the same one that I'm talking about before, E and B flat. And I did either C7 or F sharp 7. But I think that maybe one of the benefits that comes with this cell notation is that if you have just E and B flat, it's totally up to you to decide where that E and B flat is meant to reside. So that could be an E half diminished chord. That could be an, let's say, well, what, could, what else could we do? We could do a D flat or a C sharp minor six chord. Right, that's still got an E and a B flat in it. Uh, it could also be just anything from B harmonic minor. And then a low B. I don't have enough range on my keyboard. But so maybe that's one benefit that I can find with cell notation is that it doesn't like when you write a chord symbol, it doesn't force you to like have to imply any sort of harmony because if you say A sus2, omit five. Oh, actually, sorry, I'll go back to the tritone example. If you were to write, um, well, let's say F sharp seven, no root, no fifth. It's just the tritone. Then because you've written F sharp seven, no root, no fifth, people are still inevitably going to be thinking that. But if you have just the cell notation, just the notes, then it is open for interpretation. I still think you can, you accomplish the exact same thing by just having it notated. But, and like the rest of the song's context will tell you where, where or what it's meant to sit in. But yeah, I thought it was an interesting idea to bring up anyway, because maybe some of you guys who are listening can show me some like better ways of, uh, or some more valuable ways of describing it. I guess in the same way that I've talked about, cause, or something that just occurred to me is if you, you can use it, like I've said, to describe really small chord voicings that don't really fit into any, like just dyads, right? Or, right? That's just an E flat one or a B one. But you could also use it for describing non-conventional clusters. So like, well, let's take F1, 2, 4, 5. So that's, uh, I'll shift the piano up an octave so it's easier to hear. 1, 2, so, oh, sorry. So F1, 2, 4, 5. It's a pretty dense cluster. I'll bring it back down an octave, see how that sounds. 
And, I mean, just looking at that right now, I'm finding it kind of hard to describe exactly what it would be. You know, the closest I can think of is... I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be s some sort of, like, B-flat major 13 add flat 13. You know, something something really, really weird or add sharp 5. And a cell notation easily just is like, oh, yeah, it's... It's just F1245. But, you know, like I kind of have repeated, so does standard notation. You could just play standard notation and then leave it up to leave it up to the performer to decide uh, what it's meant to be. And because uh, Steve Coleman has some of the scores of his songs, and I believe I saw uh, one of them had like cell notation with slash notation. So they use cell notation as the as if chord symbols. Which kind of totally didn't make sense to me because it's like, if you use slash notation, the nature of slash notation is you're saying voicing is not important. Here's the chord symbols. Just play whatever you want, right? Because if you cared about exact voicing, you would just notate it. But, you know, yeah. So that's that's the... It, oh, man, it makes it sound so anticlimactic. I didn't really want to, like, totally shit on it, but... um yeah, cell notation, it, it just stood out to me as one of those like really weird things where I was like, oh, this is such a such a cool idea, but it's just not that useful in my opinion. The next topic that I want to talk about, which is going to be, I guess, maybe a little bit more rambly, but I really want to kind of sit and, and flesh this out. Are inversions of a chord the same chord? And what inspired me to think of this was I made a meme uh, and posted it in a like a shit posting group. And if you know the the that meme, that's the office. It's like oh, corporate needs you to find a difference between these pictures. And I don't even know what the original is, but the the punchline is that they say it's the same picture. Uh, and what I had done was like I'd made a meme that was C minor seven and B major nine. Corporate needs you to find a picture, a difference between, and then it's a picture of Brad Meldow saying, oh, they're the same picture. And it was it was just a joke that's like, uh, I was doing a transcription of Brad Meldow and he would play like B major nine over a C minor seven. And yeah. And then someone in the comments section was like, same function, they're the same chords. And I feel like this is one of those cases where Absolute beginners are going to look at the and say, well, obviously they're different chords. C minor 7 and B major 9 are just, they're, they're different chords. But then somebody who's like knowledgeable is going to say, oh, well, they're the same chord because the guide tones, which are the important parts, are the same. Right? But then I feel like there's like one level higher <laughs> that is that kind of reverses back. And so that says, no, they are different chords because there's even more ingredients that like, you know, if they were the same chord, then you could just replace all minor seven chords with major seven chords and it wouldn't be any different. But I think it's ignorant to think that it wouldn't be any different because the context surrounding it matters a lot, even if it will still work and it'll still be consonant. If you're playing, if you play like all the things you are, so uh, I'll play it. I'll play it very quickly and broken so that the copyright doesn't find me. 
So. Right? So that, that's kind of like minor seven chord and the melody note is the minor third. Now, as per this argument that the person has presented, E major would work as well there. And then going up to the C sharp, uh, or the D flat in the original you would call it, A major seven. And then going down to that G, instead of using an E flat dominant seven, you could use, uh, well, let's say an E minor six, right? Just like sit and think about it. Like, yes, of course, the guide tones are the same. So at some level, you could make an intellectual argument that they are the same chord. But if you just played it, it wouldn't, it's it's not the same chord. And I wanted to see how far back these extend. So I think for something as dramatic as like, I mean, well, another example, I'll, I'll get to the dramatic example in a second, but Another example is tritone substitution, right? Like you can say, oh yeah, C7, F sharp 7. They're the same chord. They function the same way. But they don't because if they were the same, then they would be interchangeable. Like you can't just play an F sharp 7 instead of a C7 and pretend like you're going to get the exact same emotional reaction. It's not going to be the same even though the guide tones do, like I said, function the same. A slightly more extreme example is, or, so let's talk inversions, and I'll talk about the extreme example with inversions, and then I'll talk about regular ones. So, if you were to take a really dense polychord, let's say A major 7 over G minor, uh, G minor, G half diminished. Ready? Right? Right? If you hear that, and then I say, even something uh, like just swapping them around, I'm going to play now a G minor, half, a, a G half diminished, and an A major, but now it'll be voiced the other way around. It'll be a G minor, G half diminished on the bottom, A major on the top. Like, they don't sound like the same chord. They, 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 they're totally different. We can take a more simple example of, let's take F major on the, on the, in the left hand, B minor in the right hand, which is one of my favorite polychords, by the way. Um, and then I'll swap them around, B minor, F major. Like, they just sound like different chords. Uh, and I feel like, like they feel like different chords as well. Like, you wouldn't just randomly change them around and even though in this example it's even more extreme because literally all of the notes are the same as opposed to like an example like c minor 7 to b major 7 where half of the notes are different and this is what what brought me to the question are inversions the same chord so i feel like if you were to take a g major 7 voiced in root position and then put different bass notes underneath. You could make an argument that they are like different chords or they are the same chord, rather. 
because it is like but well let's take say something like this like obviously it functions exactly the same uh but having for me like the standoutness of the minor ninth interval has always made major seven chords feel different to if I just played them in uh, root position, you know? And so the reason is I don't want I don't want it to be like, oh hey, I've figured out the definitive answer. Like inversions are not the same sort of chord. Uh, or no 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 they are, or like they are the same they are the same chord. I just I want to make this more of a compositional exercise or a compositional awareness exercise of when you should choose voicings in a certain way because I feel like sometimes you can, if you were to go from like a B flat minor seven, I'll go up an octave, to a G major seven, right? That's a nice, uh, nice enough resolution. Uh, but now we're going to go from a B flat minor seven to a B to a G major seven in first inversion. So B is in in the bass. Ready? It's a different feeling, especially when you start to have the like low bass notes and then the higher voicing. So right, and I feel like. So firstly, I'll, I'll get it out right on the table. You could make an argument that they are either yes, the same, or no, not the, or no, they are different chords. I think it's important to just make sure that you're not taking any one case for granted and use it as like a compositional device. So, and, and be aware of it. So like when you're composing, when you're like voicing an A flat major seven, don't always assume that, if I played this, or if I played this, it's going to be the same thing. This and this are not the same thing. Uh, but they will technically function the same way. More so than the example of, like, the, the Meldau example, where the, the, the gentleman was like, oh, yes, these are the, they are the same chord. They function the same way. So what do you guys think? Do you think inversions it's more the case that they're the same chord or more the case that they're a different chord. How do you uh, approach like choosing exactly what voicing you're going to use? I guess now I'll quickly talk about the recommended album of the week. I'm going to be honest. I've been on like a massive Steve Coleman binge and part of me is just saying, say live at the village vanguard because it's a great album but i'm not going to do it because firstly i've already said it just three seconds ago uh but i am actually going to give a different album recommendation my album recommendation for this week is the soundtrack to team cherry's hollow knight it's a video game now i am going to say considering some of the other things we've talked about it's not like you're going to listen to this soundtrack and be like oh this is some mind-bending compositional idea or this is some like you know these are some really extreme this is some groundbreaking performance okay like the compositions are not like Stravinsky level or Steve Coleman level but I do think they are still really great because of the context in which they're used 
And aside from listening to just the uh, soundtrack, I'm just scrolling through my iTunes just so I can get a list of all of the actual, um, all the actual parts in it of the songs because I want to reference some. Uh, there's something that I there's something that I really recommend you do, which is go into Eight Bit Music Theory channel and he has a series of videos on Hollow Knight. He talks about world building and storytelling through Hollow Knight. And what Hollow Knight, what the composer Christopher Larkin, who is another fellow Aussie represent, uh, he uses, as is the case with lots of composers, leitmotifs to represent certain characters. So there's a theme for the the king of Hollow Nest, which is the world Hollow Knight set in. There's a theme for Hollow Knights and also, he uses some non-linearity, non-linearity techniques. So I'll put on a soundtrack for, for example, The Fungal Wastes, which has this like kind of really nice, I believe that's the one that has like the pizzicato, um, like the basses and stuff. And is it a bass clarinet melody? Yeah. Yeah, I think it is a bass clarinet. Um, or something like that. I, I You can fact check it uh, later. But... When I listen to it, I'm like, oh, wow, this is like a really developed version. And then I remember thinking back, oh, he actually used some nonlinear layering techniques to actually pro- progressively bring parts in depending on how far through the character has progressed uh, through the area. And there are some other really cool things. So, like, honestly, just in terms of if you want to get a bit of a beginner orchestra, it's not beginner. I don't want to say it's beginner because it kind of discredits it, but like a really cool way of orchestrating and arranging uh, within relatively diatonic harmony uh, for like strings. There's some great, there's some great ones like Lost Kin. Is it? Oh no, sorry. It's called Broken Vessel. Lost Kin is a different version of that same boss. Uh, Spoiler alert. But, and also mantis lords and i would also recommend i don't know what it's called oh hornet boom it's right there so yeah the hornet boss battle music it's all really cool but in terms of using light motifs and stuff and using non-linear development throughout the progression of the game that's my recommended album of the week i've been listening to specific parts partly because i've been listening to it also i've actually just been playing hollow knight i recently 112 percented it after being stuck at like 111% because there's one like gauntlet at the end that you have to fight like a bunch of bosses in a row and it was kind of a pain but yeah I was well it was, it was tricky but as is the case with like these kind of metroidvania souls likes it's always really fun once you finally get over it and succeed I believe I'm going to wrap it up there uh, let me know you can contact me uh, I've started to remember to put my website in the notes of the of the podcast if you have any questions you feel free to contact me i'd love to talk to you uh, don't forget to stay in the shed keep getting hip and i'll see you guys and girls next time